Continuing in 1 Peter, chapter 2, Peter's been preaching about the, uh, the suffering and the persecution that the church was going through in his day, and uh, it is a suffering and persecution that goes on in every day. There is a suffering that we all go through in this life, and it's important for us to hear God's word as to how to uh, how to understand that and how to uh, how to submit to those in authority, submit to government, to masters, and uh, we'll continue in, in that theme. I'm going to read uh, verse verses 18 to the end of the chapter, but preach from verses 21 through 25. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. For this is commendable, if because of conscience towards God one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. For what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us leaving us an example that you should follow his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, nor commit himself, but committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. I want you to imagine that as you got up this morning that you found that there had been snow overnight, a, a deep beautiful snow, and that you go out in the morning, you bundle up, you, you put on your coat, your boots, you go out in the snow, and it's still and quiet. And as you go along, you find that somebody else has been out in the snow, and you see footprints in the snow. Maybe you're like me. There's something about that, that, that clean snow that you don't want to disturb, and so You begin to follow in those footsteps. You look and you try to place your feet right in the prints that are going ahead in front of you. You have to be careful because you might slip and you you want it to fit exactly so you're very careful as you follow in those footprints. In this passage, Peter exhorts us, he, he calls us to follow in Jesus's footsteps, not in footprints that are made in snow, but you might think of them as footprints that are made in fire, because he calls you to follow after Jesus Christ in suffering, to follow after Jesus Christ in suffering. might remember that Peter gives this encouragement to those who were servants or even slaves as we would know them today. He was encouraging them 
who were in an almost unthinkable position. When they suffered at the hands of masters, it was not like having a, a boss today that was unjust towards you. But these were people who could not escape. They had no recourse whatsoever to relief from the suffering that they were undergoing. And so we looked at Peter's instruction. We looked at how Peter said to even submit in this case to the authority that was over them, recognizing that God is in authority over all. We saw how this showing respect for the position of authority was a way of honoring God. But remember that there is suffering for doing what is right that Peter has in mind here. Not just for doing what is good, or doing what is wrong, but suffering for doing what is right. I'll remind you here of those qualifications that Scripture makes that protects those of you who are under authority, that those in leadership are also under authority, that you have a right to appeal, you have a right to report crimes, you have a right to disobey if someone requires you to do something sinful, and so on. But in Peter's case, this counsel was given to those who could not escape, those who did not have those protections. And in that historical setting, Peter points to the truth that God does not forget you, that God does not forget those who suffer. In fact, God knows and he cares, and like Psalm 66 says, our Psalm of the Month, that he works even through those difficult circumstances to accomplish his plan and his good purposes. It may be very difficult to see what those purposes are, especially in the midst of that suffering. But we need to understand that there is a God over all of those things and that there is a purpose. And it may be that he is refining you. It may be that he's refining society. But he does have a purpose for those. So instead of kicking and screaming about the unjust way that you are being treated, follow in the footsteps of Christ. For to this you were called, says Peter. For this you were called. Because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his footsteps. So follow with me as we look at those steps that Jesus Christ makes in the fiery furnace of suffering. We're going to look carefully so that our, we can put our feet right in those footsteps of Jesus. The first thing that Peter says is that Jesus committed no sin when he suffered. In chapter 1, Peter had called attention to the fact that God does have purpose in suffering, and one of those purposes is that he would purify your faith. You can see, see that in chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. It's well again with, with Psalm 66. And then right before this, we see that Peter has said that Christ enables you to live under your suffering in a way that bears witness to the world. When you do so, you are imitating Christ. 
who committed no sin when he suffered. This leads us to think about that example that Jesus made, to examine it closely for our imitation. So we look and see that Jesus committed no sin when he suffered. You might say, well, he's the son of God. It was impossible for him to sin. But I want you to see that Peter says, he calls attention that he committed no sin as he suffered. And the emphasis there is on the suffering that happens in Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ uh, went, went under. And believe me, he did suffer. And let me just call your attention to the history that is given to us in the Gospels. Think of the mistreatment that he endured all throughout his life. You can go at the very beginning. From birth, powerful people were trying to kill him, a baby. King Herod himself. Then Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, grew up in poverty and in hard work, surely a recipe to produce a bitterness in man and to inspire rebellion. He could point to the oppression of Rome. He could could look at the opposition of the Jewish elite to the falseness of the spiritual leaders as reasons to rail against all authority, even to organize a rebellion. It would have been so easy for him. They were asking for Jesus to do that. Be our king. Lead us against all of these evils. You might think that when the Messiah finally came, that everyone would eagerly jump to attention, that they would acknowledge him as the promised savior, not a king like they wanted, that they would believe in his message, that they would repent and entrust themselves to their care of Jesus. But no, think of the opposition that Jesus faced all through his life. My own devotions have been going through, uh, through the book of Mark, and over and over again, there is a telling of those who missed the Messiah right in their midst. The Pharisees and the scribes who were set in their false beliefs. The crowds who just wanted bread for their bellies. The leaders of the Jews who were offended and were threatened and so determined to kill him. Who said that the Son of God had a devil. They eventually condemned him to death after an unjust trial. They lied about his teaching and claims. They convicted him of blasphemy. They riled up the crowds so that they hurled insults at Jesus Christ. Crucify him. Crucify him, they yelled. The leaders themselves, even as Jesus hung on the cross for our sins, they hurled insults. Psalm 22 that we sang earlier, he saved others, but he can't save himself. Let him come down from the cross. Let him come down now and we will believe in him. Once more, a recipe for revolt, or at least a justifiable reason for Jesus 
to call down angels from heaven to deliver him. He was persecuted and suffered under the hands of unjust, wicked men. But Jesus did not revile back. Jesus did not hurl insults back. Jesus committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. Here Peter takes Isaiah 53 and applies it to our Savior Jesus Christ. Isaiah 53 is a moving account that we have come to know as the account of the suffering servant. The suffering servant. This is our Messiah. This is our king, a suffering servant. One that was reviled and that was looked on without any appreciation. He was described as being uncomely and of no reputation, being despised and rejected by men. This is our Savior, suffering servant. When he was mistreated, when he was sinned against, Jesus did not return evil for evil. He did not sin. And Peter holds this up as an example for you to follow. The shape of this footstep is of the perfect Son of God who did not sin. Our steps into his steps are are not going to be perfect. But they are to fall in his shape. They are to follow right after him in not sinning in response to sin against us. Here I'll call your, your mind to the sermons that went before about our relationship to government a relationship to those in, in, in authority as masters to slaves that treat you unjustly. There, we, uh, there I gave some practical applications as to what sins you might commit in those circumstances. You might openly rebel against the government. You might, uh, you might complain against unwise or unjust leaders or bosses. You might do your job, but go away behind their backs, tearing them down. When sinned against, do not sin in return. This is difficult, is it not? This is difficult because... When sinned against, our natural reaction is to seek vindication, to seek self-justification, to get our own way and our own name, own pleasure, our own comfort. It goes against our nature. 
Praise be God that he gives us a new nature in Jesus Christ. We do follow in his footsteps. Imperfectly, but a new nature leads us to be convicted as we suffer that we suffer unjustly, but we suffer without returning evil for evil. I'll summarize this later, but that first application is a searching application. Is your response to suffering righteous? Then you're out of step with Jesus. Think how I said that. I think I got it backwards. Is your response to Jesus righteous? Then you're in step with Jesus. Is your response to suffering sinful? You're out of step with Jesus. Follow after Jesus in his footsteps. He committed no sin, responding to evil with evil. So what did he do? And this is the second way in which we learn from Jesus' example. He committed no sin, but he committed himself to the Father. He committed himself to him who judges righteously. In other words, he entrusted himself to the Father who knows all things. The Father who would ultimately repay all those who reviled and rejected him as the Savior, as the Son of God. The day of judgment will surely come. And Jesus knew this, partly because God had entrusted him to do that judging. But until then, he entrusted himself to the Father. He entrusted himself to the one who would judge righteously. And we get a glimpse of this all throughout the uh, the Gospels as well. I called attention to Jesus' suffering, but now listen to the ways in which the Gospels show Jesus' committing himself to his Father. This is the Son of God entrusting himself to the Father. It's going to prompt us to do the same. So, Gospels say that Jesus set his face towards Jerusalem. He knew full well what was going to happen there. He was going to his death. He was going there to suffer the wrath of his father. He was going there to be condemned unjustly. He would go through all of that, and he knew it, and he entrusted himself to the father. You get a sense of that purpose in the gospel account. You hear Jesus' resolve as he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was even then suffering what was was happening. He was even then going through the travail of his soul. This is is not an easy thing. And if if you think I'm... I'm telling you this is easy. Look at Jesus. It was not easy for the Son of God. He wept and he sweated as if great drops of blood. But you hear his resolve 
In anguish, he prayed earnestly that the cup would pass from him. But not my will, but your will be done. You get a sense of Jesus' commitment as he accepted Judas's kiss. Kiss that would betray him. Betray him into the hands of unjust men. The one who could call angels to his defense. The one who even revealed his glory at this moment. Remember when they asked, where is Jesus? And Jesus said, I am. Words that are pregnant with meaning. Words that are reflecting his divine nature such that the soldiers fell down in front of him. He could have escaped. This was the moment. You know Jesus' commitment as he accepted this path. There are two things from that that you hear. One of them is that there was an entrustment of that, uh, that Jesus had to, uh, to the hands of the Father that the day of judgment would come. His first coming was not that day of judgment. His second coming will be. But the first day of his coming was a day of salvation. And so until the day of judgment, he would entrust himself to his father. In the midst of a suffering that you will never know, glory be God he suffered hell for us, literally. Those footsteps of fire are more intense than you can ever imagine, and more intense than you will ever suffer because Jesus suffered them for you. If the Son of God would entrust himself to the Father, that's an open invitation to us, to you, to do the same. The day of judgment will come. And on that day, Christ will come and will assemble the living and the dead before him and books will be opened up. And it will be revealed what your actions are. Those who are in Christ will be vindicated, will be openly vindicated, and will be welcomed into the presence of the Lord where there is joy everlasting. You don't have to worry about getting yours or protecting your name. Jesus knows. Well, the book will also show those who are unrighteous, those who are wicked, those who revile those who think they can get away with it. God will openly reveal all unrighteousness. And those will go into everlasting punishment. You can trust it. The second thing that comes through here is that Jesus understood the purpose for that suffering. He understood that he came to accomplish salvation. That was the reason why he, that <laughs> it's a whole counsel of God 
before the foundation of the world that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit had determined that he would save sinners and that the way that that would happen is that the Son would lay down his life. So rather than turning away from that suffering, Jesus did set his face towards Jerusalem. He did accept the will of the Father. He did accept the kiss of a traitor because he came to save. There was a purpose in his suffering. There's a purpose in yours. Peter says, he called you to this. He called you to this. This is another place where we just shake our heads. Like in Psalm 66, men rode over us. We've gone through fire and water. At your doing, O oh God, God called you to this. As awful as your suffering is, It is God's purpose. It is his calling to you. The word that's used there, one commentator translates it this way, it is your vocation. It's part of your life that God has for you. Does that make it easier? On one level, no, it does not. It still is awful. That's why I wanted you to grasp why Peter sets Jesus in front of you as an example. Because of the awful, terrible suffering that he went under. For a purpose. And understanding that the Lord has a purpose in your suffering, even though you don't know what that purpose might be, does enable you to say, I don't know why this is, but God does have a purpose and enables you to endure. So meditate on the truth that it is indeed God's plan that Jesus would suffer and that it is his calling for you that you may endure in your suffering. And then entrust yourself to the judge of all. And this really is where the rubber meets the road, isn't it? Chafe under suffering. We want to be free from it. It's especially hard when we don't understand the purpose. And it's, you add to that, if you suffer when you uh, are doing what is right, and it is still a path of suffering. We want to know why. We want to be vindicated. At that point, remember the path of Jesus Christ. 
is set you there to form Christ in you so that you would take up your cross and follow after him, so that you would indeed be refined by that fire of suffering as silver is refined. This is where Peter brings in the aspect of Jesus' redeeming suffering on our behalf. He interacts again with, Psalm, or with Isaiah 53, talking about Jesus' being reviled and not reviling back. But Jesus' suffering, that purpose of his, was our salvation. By his stripes we are healed. Peter goes on then to say, you've returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. We're reminded that Jesus is a good shepherd. That he has laid down his life for us. It has gone before us. He cares for us in all of our circumstances, and he is with us even in our suffering, even the valley of the shadow of death. And he is the overseer of our souls. So that word there is normally used to translate elder, as in the elders given to serve the church. And Hebrews 13 describes them as imitating Jesus too, the elders who Watch over our souls. Well, the great good shepherd is perfect in his watching over us. He knows all things and he judges all things. And he will sustain you in the midst of your suffering. He will. He will vindicate you on that last great day. He is able to keep what you entrust to him. He will keep your souls safe in life, and in death, and in all of eternity. So do that. Entrust your life to him. Take to heart the promises that he makes in his word and remember them in the midst of suffering. Cry out to him uh, to give his comforter to you, to give the Holy Spirit to help you endure that suffering. Appeal to the judge of all, praying for deliverance, for vindication, for strength to follow the calling of God that he has for you in that path of suffering. Walk along a very difficult path. Looking carefully to the imprints of those feet that have gone before us. Pray that you would find comfort and direction to set your feet in those footsteps of Jesus Christ himself and follow him in suffering. Amen. Let's pray. Oh God, this is a difficult path. Undertake it not in our own strength. We thank you, God, that you have called us to to this. And that when you call us, we believe that you will enable us to do what you call us to do. Lord, thank you for that example of Jesus Christ, that example that teaches us how how to persevere in faith, even in the midst of suffering. Lord, we cry out to you, this is hard. We cry out to you and ask, oh God, that your spirit would comfort us would lead us along this path. We pray, O God, that 
according to your promises that you will never leave us or forsake us, but that you will bring us out to the other side to a place of peace and of joy. We ask, O God, that as we follow in the footsteps of Jesus, that you be forming Christ in us. His name we pray. Amen. Close by singing Psalm 28, Selection A. The psalm closes by looking to our Savior as the shepherd and overseer of us all. And I'd invite you to sing this as your commitment today, your prayer of faith, that, that uh, as it says, save your heritage and bless them, shepherd them eternally. Ask the Lord to shepherd you today in the midst of your suffering. Let's stand and sing Psalm 28a.